Today, we're going to talk about the art of quitting your job to work on your startup. And it is an art. Who should do it, when they should do it, how they should do it. And maybe most importantly, what will happen to you if you do. But first, I want to talk to you about kids in rural Argentina. My dad and I go fly fishing in the summers. I love fly fishing, but I love it in the way that people love great dinners and great wine. If they're available, fantastic. We all wish we could do them more. But the types of trade-offs they require mean they only happen a couple of times a year. My dad is different. Fishing is not a luxury to him. It's a requirement. He'll fish in the dead of winter in the stream by his house and catch absolutely nothing for eight hours straight and say it was a great Sunday because he noticed a certain type of bug and he can now fish with that pattern next time around. Since fishing is basically his religion, he treks to the fishing meccas. Sometimes I tag along. About five years ago, we went to Argentina to fish and camp along a river in Patagonia, and it was somehow even better than it sounds. But I don't want to talk about us fishing with our expensive rods and reels, floating lines, waders, gloves, and flies. I want to talk about the locals, the kids. Because just down the river from where we fished with hundreds or thousands of dollars of gear, local kids were catching twice as many trout as we were. They were barefoot, and they didn't have rods or reels. Instead, they had coffee cans with lines wrapped around them. They'd spin the cans on their fists to reel the line back, then whip their arms in a violent but smooth arc back and forth, unfurling 50, 60-foot casts that landed softly on the water without making a ripple. Fly fishing is all about deception. Trout are spooky. When they sense anything is amiss, they dart away. They're in shallow water all the time, and they're always looking up. That's where the food is. So they'll see you if you're too close, and then they're gone. You've got to be far enough away that the trout can't see you, but still able to cast through the wind and across gurgling cross currents and have your line not disturb the water and have your fly float true as if it were a bug that just softly landed on the water and is bouncing downstream. Expensive rods, reels, and lines with technique instructed by guides is the only way to go. Or I guess you could use coffee cans. Maybe I should have felt silly. These kids had zero equipment and were running circles around us. But more, I was just in awe. Humans can do incredible things when we've got constraints and a goal that matters. And now, you probably know why I told that story. So let's talk about quitting your job, and we'll soften the blow with a little smooth jazz. This is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through our product, the Tacklebox Method, and we play smooth jazz and run through startup tactics every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea. You're ready to launch something, or maybe you already launched it and you're flying ahead full steam. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. We'll teach you how to prioritize and how to act. And with that, let's go. Nobody loves helping people leave gainful employment more than me. There are a few reasons I love to do it, but the biggest reason is there aren't many things you can do for someone that can truly change the trajectory of their life. Giving them a nudge out the door will do that. And so far, always for the best. A few hundred people quit their job after going through Tacklebox, our accelerator program for folks with ideas and jobs, over the years. Maybe 20% of these entrepreneurs are still running the businesses that they came to Tacklebox to start, but the people that I hear the most from are the other 80%, the ones whose businesses failed. 
And on average, they're just as happy, sometimes happier, than the people whose businesses worked. I'm yet to have someone regret leaving their job to start a business. Why? A study from 2017 found that the brains of people born blind literally rewire themselves to make new connections in the absence of visual information, resulting in enhanced compensatory abilities such as a heightened sense of hearing, smell, and touch, as well as a whole slew of new and improved cognitive functions. The way to get the most out of people is to take things away. You don't know what you're capable of until you're in a situation that requires you to be capable of a lot. Most people's careers are like side streets, an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of the major highway that might be something like marketing. We land at these jobs haphazardly, but then talk ourselves into it all making sense. But the path you took to get the job you've got almost certainly made zero sense. Weird, superficial choices led to how you spend 80% of your entire life. And if you think about that, that is absolutely crazy. These decisions usually look like this. Maybe in college you decided to be a business major because it seemed like it opened more doors than history or psych, and you didn't want to lock yourself into being a lawyer or a doctor because those don't have flexibility and they seem like a lot of school. Business seems like a thing people make money in, too. You'd prefer money to no money, so you majored in that. Business is just vague enough and just lucrative enough that lots of people do it. Then, when companies came on campus to recruit the business majors, you interviewed at Unilever because they had a rotational program, and that seemed pretty good to you too. Rotation means flexibility. Again, you weren't going to pigeonhole yourself because you were 21 and you had no idea what you wanted to do. Also, you had a family friend there who would push your resume to the top, whatever that means. You got the job. You went through the arbitrary rotation program and you landed on the men's shower brands team doing ad buys because Janet had just left that team and there was a spot open. Then you moved up on that team and you did some more ad buys. Then you left Unilever to go to L'Oreal to do even more ad buys for a bigger department with more budget. You might even retroactively fill in the gaps to make the story make more sense. Growing up, you liked brands or you were a good negotiator or whatever and now you're the ad buy for men's shower brands person. Jobs are just practicing certain skills every day and you've practiced those arbitrary skills and gotten good at them, so now they don't seem so arbitrary anymore. But what the hell is going on? What is any of this? How did this all happen? Why is this what you're doing with your life? You're given tools and budget and experience that all make your job more and more specialized, pushing you farther from that main highway. You practice things that get more and more niche. Most people's worlds seem to get smaller as they get more experience, and it's supposed to go the opposite. So again, what happened? Human ingenuity is only really released when it's needed, when there's urgency, when you don't have a $1,000 rod, but you need some dinner, so you use a coffee can to catch a fish. And that is why I love helping people quit their jobs to go after something, because it gets them off the weird side streets and onto the main highways. It gets them practicing the big skills, the skills that matter, skills that travel. It gets them understanding what they're actually good at. Taking copy from marketing and targeting from the growth team and a budget from finance and then executing an ad buy through Facebook Manager based on previous ad buys is totally fine. Someone's got to do it. But all that support keeps you from first principles. All that structure and redundancy built on a legacy system clips your wings. You're so far from the core job, which is go find a customer and convince them to buy the thing you've made that your skill set is indistinguishable. 
You're so far from go catch a fish or you'll go hungry. You've got no idea what you can actually do. So for the right person, I think the best thing that can happen is to get the rug pulled out from underneath you. Ideally, you do that purposefully and with a plan. Then you see if you can catch a fish because the risk isn't nearly what you think it is. I can quote the hundreds of startups with zero of them regretting their decisions to try to start something, but an anecdote is probably more helpful. Of the Tacklebox alums that quit their jobs to start something and that thing ended up failing, I'd say that over 95% of them were offered their old job back with either a promotion, a raise, or both. I'm going to say 95% to be safe. I cannot think of a single person who wasn't able to go back to their job if they wanted to, but nearly none of them do. Because what you learn when you have to start a business is what you're really interested in, what you enjoy, what you're disproportionately good at, what you get better at at a rate way faster than anybody else, what you want to build your career around. Maybe it's starting businesses or starting a specific different business you realize while you're working on the first one, which is great. Maybe it's the exact same thing you were doing before you left to start something. Unlikely, but also great. The door will be open. When you've got to find and understand a customer's problem, figure out how to reach them in a way they trust, convert them, build a product for them, price it so that your business makes sense, and then decide how to grow, adding people to your team, figuring out funding. That is a real rotational program. That's how to find out which part you truly excel at, and then you can lean into it. Practicing those big highway skills are exceedingly valuable. When I left my job to start a business in 2011, I started a blog because a mentor told me that'd be an awesome way for me to get through my thoughts. For the record, journaling, and I recommend The Artist's Way if you've never done this sort of thing before, is a wonder. About two weeks into writing the blog, my friends and family who read it commented how weird it was that my writing was good. I'd never written anything but emails before. A month of journaling in, and I knew writing and storytelling were two things that made me sublimely happy and would be a part of my life from then on in. I never would have found that if I'd stayed in finance. I've seen founders leave retail to go manage restaurants. I've seen bankers end up running creative agencies. I've seen lawyers join startups as the COO. Marketers go to nonprofits. A doctor we had is now head of strategy at a telehealth startup. There are fewer higher ceilings, lower floor risks out there than pursuing your startup idea. Again, easy for me to say, it's your life. But the upside is way higher than you're calculating and the downside is way less. All right. That got a little out of hand and far away from our original topic. But the takeaway is starting a business gives you all the upside that comes from the business going well, but also has tons of other lasting, durable upside for you as a person and the few temporary fleeting downsides for your immediate lifestyle. Starting a business if you've got a problem that you're passionate about is a no brainer, but not if you do it like an idiot, which is the rest of today's podcast. So how do you prep for this so that you're not an idiot? How do you know your idea is worth leaving for and where should the business be when you leave? I think of this preparedness in two buckets, what and how. They both need to be data-driven. If I had a job, I'd have a giant whiteboard or two big pieces of paper with what on one and how on the other. And I'd have a date by which I wanted to quit. We'll start with the how as it's straightforward. You map it out in Excel. I've got a template if you'd like. Email me at team at gettacklebox.com. 
The doc has how much money you spend a month broken out and itemized and how much money you have saved that you're willing to part with. You divide the two and you have your runway. Your goal then is to extend that runway. You'll quickly see that cutting out going for coffee can make you very sad and only save you $100 per month, while moving to a smaller apartment or a different city can save you $1,000 a month. If you're young enough that your parents can have you in their basement, do that. I'll save even more. Your budget should give you a year. If that's a pipe dream with your savings, the fastest way to extend your runway is to block a day or two a week for incoming money to start. Pitch the company you're leaving on a two-day-a-week consulting gig. This has worked extremely well for our founders, particularly post-COVID when remote work is normal. The problem here is always going to be boundaries. It's easy to let two days spill into four. If you're consulting two days a week, remove your work email from Gmail the other five. Reactive work will always creep in and replace the proactive startup work you're going to need to be doing. If you don't think your boss is going to be up for this, and I would challenge that because most bosses we've found tend to be way more flexible with their best employees than you'd think, spend a few weeks or months pitching your service to clients as a freelancer or a consultant before you quit that main job. Do what you know or do what you need to learn for your new business. Even a day or two each week that brings in money, particularly if it's a freelancing thing where you have to learn how to sell, is going to extend your runway and it's going to make you a better founder. A huge headwind for most founders is health insurance. If you have a spouse who works, that's the ticket. If you don't, Cobra gives you 18 months from your previous job. It's expensive, but it's usually better than the open health insurance market, which I've found to be pretty terrible. If you do end up consulting for your company, negotiate benefits over salary. That's going to be a better dollar value for you. This might stink, but there are never going to be all green lights. You have to make some sacrifices if you're going to get the gains from this. The second bucket is the what. You need to be even more finicky planning this than you were for the how. The most important question you need to answer should be on a post-it on your monitor or on that big piece of paper on the wall, and it is, why does this opportunity deserve my full attention? The opportunity needs to earn your time, and most of that earning should happen while you still have that other job. The worst thing you can do is quit, then look in the mirror and kind of rub your hands together and say, all right, what do we got here? You can and should validate the big assumption before you even consider quitting that job. The five components of the what that you should lean into are first problem, second customer, third differentiator, fourth channel, and fifth pivots. This sounds like a lot, but it's actually very manageable if you just break it down and tactically go after it. First thing you'll have to do is validate the problem you're solving is real. There are six characteristics of great problems, and your problem should have at least one or two of these characteristics. Those are urgent, expensive, mandatory, frequent, painful, and obvious. Make sure the problem you're solving matters. You won't build anything that matters if the problem you're solving doesn't matter. Be ambitious with that problem, then focus with the customer. People are way too cautious with the problem they solve. People always pitch me things like, I want to make millennialized parking garages or millennialized X. And I always think that why not go for something more ambitious? Go for the big thundering problems, the things that if you solve them, it's really going to matter. From there, you'll want to focus in on a specific customer that's got the problem in an especially nuanced way. Let's say you're making an app that helps people create better habits around diet. 40% of the country is obese and you want to tackle that mammoth problem. 
What's the hyper-specific initial customer segment that has an urgent, expensive, mandatory, frequent, painful, or obvious problem within that group? Let's say for you, you've noticed that ex-college athletes have gained a lot of weight in their 30s because they used to eat whatever they wanted and their metabolism and lack of exercise has slowed down. Maybe you're that customer, or maybe I'm projecting, but maybe you think you know how to message to rally and solve the problem for that person. Prove that before you quit. You don't need to build something just yet. The product's likely going to be a commodity. What you really want to do before you quit is prove that there is intent. Validate that if you do build something, this customer is going to be excited to buy it. Third up is your differentiator. That customer you chose, why do you know them better than anyone else does? How are you going to build a system to learn more about them faster than anyone else could? What is your secret? Every good startup begins with a secret. No secret, no startup. Maybe for ex-college athletes, your secret is team. Your product will put them on teams and they'll play other teams in some sort of weight loss goal competition. Your differentiator is that you understand their motivators better than anyone. Differentiators have to matter. My grandpa always said that to be a difference, a difference has to make a difference. We get pitched more superficial differentiators and those just are not worth your time. Validate that your differentiator will drive action before you quit your job to pursue a business that is anchored by it. Fourth up is channel. This is one that maybe four or five years ago I wouldn't have included, but as I watch startups struggle with this, I recognize that the hardest thing to do these days is to reach your customer. So before you quit, you really want to make sure that you can reach that customer in a way that is at least reliable, if not scalable. Broadly, when I think about what you should do before you quit versus what you can do after you quit, I think about feedback loops. It's good to get the long feedback loop stuff out of the way while you're still getting a paycheck. Acquisition channels are long feedback loops, and they can be expensive, another thing that's good to have a paycheck for. You're going to need to test a lot. If I were you, before I quit, I'd have some sense of how to acquire customers in a somewhat reliable way. Ads. It doesn't have to be something like Facebook ads. For this ex-college athlete, it could be through their team reunions or partnering with the current coach to blast out an email or finding out who was the captain on all the Division Three basketball teams in 2009 and then shooting them a LinkedIn message and seeing if their team wants to join. Finally, pivots. There's no way to predict what you're going to pivot to or from. The only thing I can guarantee you is you're going to need to make some pivots which means that you need to have time allocated for those pivots and mental space allocated for those pivots. You're going to need to be razor focused on something until data proves that you're wrong about that thing. And then you're going to have to be willing to adjust. Five pivots is our general rule. So don't go in saying I'm going to build X. Go in saying that you're going to help people with obesity and your first customer is ex-college athletes and your hypothesis is a team-based product might help them solve the problem. Then go run a bunch of tests. If you're right, dig deeper. If you're wrong, pivot. A problem that matters, an underserved customer, a secret about that customer that you know and no one else does, and a way to reach them are all things you can figure out while you still have a job. Attacking this so that you can quit and go after the opportunity more aggressively should be your goal. Planning to extend that runway as long as possible and embracing the mindset that this is all flexible will give you the best shot at turning that solid foundation into a business that changes your life. You won't have the rod and reel, but you'll have a coffee can. 
Don't you want to see what you can do with it? This was the idea to start a podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. There are 70 days left in 2021. You've still got time to test out a business idea. Head to gettacklebox.com and click on the Tacklebox method if you'd like a little guidance along the way. And as always, have a great week.